right now. Lord, we thank and praise your name for your goodness, your mercy. Lord, you are good. And in spite of our sin and in spite of ourselves, Lord, you have sent Jesus Christ as an offering, as an atonement for our sins. And we thank you, Lord. We glory in the fact that you have called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And Lord God, we pray that our hearts will proclaim your name throughout all the earth. Lord, we thank you and we continue to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord, we pray that your name would be glorified, that the Son would be magnified, and that the body would be edified. And we ask these and other blessings. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank God and amen. Now, as Russell came to me uh, about the opportunity to preach, um, I definitely, definitely um, was excited. Um, and uh, one of the things I had uh, already had on my heart, um, I think a couple weeks prior, um, I was invited to preach my quote-unquote first revival. And uh, one of the topics that I uh, did was uh, worship. And uh, the worship is near and dear to my heart. Um, when we typically use the word worship, we have all types of ideas, all types of baggage, all types of implications that we think and associate with worship. But not all of those ideas, not all of those implications are always consistently biblical. So this morning, I would like to talk from the topic of worship disorder. And I will be coming from the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And before I get started, uh, a lot of times we don't realize uh, the relevance of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is very important. As, as, actually, as a matter of fact, mo the majority of the Bible was written. <laughs> it exists in the Old Testament. So that's where we really get a foundation and an understanding. <clears throat> so if you could stand. Is that the custom? Okay. Again, we're going <clears> to <throat> go to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And it reads, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense and offered it unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came from out before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You may be seated. <clears throat> we live in a day and an age and in a culture that's obsessed with labels. We have labels for just about anything you can think of. Got labels for claustrophobia, which is, you know, people who don't like to be in small areas. Got uh, labels for people who are afraid of spiders, arachnophobia. Got a label for just about anything and everything you can think of. Some of these, positive, some of these uh, labels are positive and others are negative. However, rather, even though our culture sometimes can abuse these labels, these labels are needed. For example... And one of the areas that the labels are needed when it comes to healthcare and in the medical field. See, the proper diagnosis of a particular ailment, we can properly treat or even prevent an illness that would lead to death. I'm here this afternoon, or this morning rather, to make a diagnosis that we all suffer from. 
Some of you may know we have it. Others of you may know, may not know we have it. But this illness is so serious that it has affected all people of all ages throughout all cultures at all times. We all suffer from what I would like to call a worship disorder. Now, just in case you're not familiar with what a disorder is, uh, I'd like to do a little bit of, go to the, to the dictionary for, for a quick second. The word disorder in its noun form means to be in a state of confusion, to be in disarray or chaos. The verb form of this word means, to, means that there is some disruption in a systematic fun- function and arrangement of something. Now, from a clinical standpoint, it's a diagnosis by a mental health professional or a behavior mental pattern that causes us to malfunction throughout all of life. Now, I've defined what a disorder is. I would like to spend the remainder of our time showing how this disorder is affected in our worship. So I will set out to make three points for our observation this morning. That is, God defines and regulates worship. Sin is the cause of our worship disorder. And worship belongs to God and God alone. Now, worship is a comprehensive term. I don't know how many of you are familiar with onions. But if you ever cook with an onion, you know that an onion has a lot of layers that you have to peel back. And the more you peel back, you find out you got more <laughs> peeling to do. Well, that's how worship is. Worship is, is, it has layers and layers that we have pulled back. A lot of people may think that worship is what we do on Sunday when we have the praise team of the choir and we're all gathered as a congregation. Well, that's important, but that's only one element of worship. Worship is not just merely a Bible study on Wednesday nights or Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Worship is not merely the preacher preaching in the pulpit. All of these are very important things, but worship, here it is, is what we were created and made to do. It is our nature. We're going to worship God, or we're going to worship, period. Now, you're going to worship a God. But which God is it that you worship? Is it the true and living God, the God of the Bible, or is it ourselves? Worship is inseparable to who we are as human beings. There's not one human being upon the face of God's green earth that does not worship. First, we must recognize that worship is a lifestyle that reflects and occupies the throne of our heart. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, says, where your treasure is, your heart may be also. So you take it, some of those football or basketball fanatics, I know guys who have, you know, jerseys signed by every member of the basketball team or a particular sports team. They got every shoe that was made out by every famous player, and they really love and enjoy what they do. And you can see it reflected in their house and in their rooms. Well, when your heart is in something, you immerse yourself in it. Worship is a word of position and posture. The Hebrew word shakah, which is one of the transliteration of the word, literally means to prostrate oneself. It's translated a hundred times as worship, 54 times as bowing down, nine times as do obeisance, five times it references other words that are deal with falling down, crouching down, the humbly beseech. Another Hebrew translation for this word is a bod that literally means to work. 
or also to be enslaved. Worship is something we naturally do like breathing. It's not personal. All of us worship. Worship is what I would like to call the human occupation that God has employed all of us to do. It is our job to worship. Some of the background about this text, the book of Leviticus zooms its lens into the ultimate problem that all of us have to answer. And that problem is, is how is one made right with God? See, according to the scriptures, the book of Genesis, we're all born with a nature that is inclined to sin. The Bible says that we were born in, born in sin and shaping in iniquity. This is what the theologians like to call original sin. But if you take a closer look into your own life, you realize that there's actual sin. We don't have to take lessons in how to lie and how to lust and how to be deceptive. That's a part of our nature since the fall. But we can see we naturally do these things because our nature is corrupt. Sin is what causes our worship disorder. Sin has distorted and marred the beautiful portrait of God's masterpiece. It has stained the canvas of God's creation, but thank God that is not the end of the story. See, the book brings out a role of what we come to know as the priests or the mediators. Let's look at verse 1. God defines and regulates worship. It says, now, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid it, laid it on an unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The text picks up with Nadab and Abihu. These were the sons of Aaron, Moses' nephews. These weren't merely ordinary men, but they were priests. The priests were important because they were called and handpicked by God to serve God, or to serve the people on God's behalf and vice versa. Being a priest was a 24-hour, 24-7 job that was nasty, filthy, and disgusting. You dealt with blood and sacrifices all day. See, where sin entered the world, Adam and Eve disobedience, it caused a separation between God and man. Man was created with the intention of eternal fellowship with God, but our sins have now turned that relationship from one of love and affection to one of wrath and judgment. True worship is the way that we relate to God on the basis of his own terms. It's important for us to understand that left in our natural state, we are not okay with God. The Bible declares in Colossians 1 verse 21 that we were alienated and we are at one point enemies of God in our mind because of our evil behavior. This is an infinite and eternal gulf between us and our creator. And sin has caused that gulf. So their job was to minister, to administer the sacrifices, to, to, to pour the blood on the altar. There's an infinite and eternal uh, consequence to, the, to sin. The priests were charged with making an atonement through offering sacrifices, burn off the sins of the whole entire congregation. Atonement. This is, this is a, a big word that has a lot of implication. The word atonement means to satisfy or appease God's wrath through a substitute or a sacrifice. See, Israel at this particular point was God's chosen 
and people. And the only way that one could be redeemed or made right with God is to come in contact and come in, and come in that covenant community of Israel. The priest's actions and lifestyle affected not only themselves, but everybody else. The priest's actions and lifestyle, uh, I'm sorry, the priest, the call of the priest was, was one that, that, that we talked about before as, as nasty and, and filthy. But, but here's the thing that I want us all to understand is that the Bible says that we are a chosen priesthood. How many of us know that serving God is going to come with some work and some labor. Just like the priests had to work and labor in the temple, we have to work and labor. First Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that may proclaim the excellencies of who, him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. This means that as God's people, this journey is not going to be a flower bed of ease. This, it's not going to be a, 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 a cakewalk. Just like they had to deal with the disgusting blood and animal sacrifices, we got to deal with the stench of human depravity. We got to deal with no, what, what nobody else wants to deal with. And we have no option because we are called to God, and this is what call, God calls us to do. It means that we're going to have to deal with, 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 with being lied on. It means that we're going to have to uh, uh, deal with being slandered. And it means that we're going to have to deal with uh, being abused and mistreated. It means that we're going to have to act as mediators between peoples in, in, in scandalous disputes and arguments. To my leadership in the body of Christ, I want to pose a question that was posed to me. See, the blood of, of the priest that were on the hands, uh, the blood of the animal sacrifices that were on the hands of the priest, accountability for the people. And I never understood this until I got older. But uh, growing up in church, I, I heard a term, uh, the, the, uh, the old pastor used to say, is there any blood on your hands? And I never understood quite what they meant by that. But just like the priests were accountable for properly administering the blood sacrifice on behalf of the people and were accountable, we are accountable for handling the gospel. We are accountable for administering. Now, here's the thing. We're not responsible for conversion. God is calling us to preach the gospel. Salvation, whether a person responds or not, is a work that belongs to the Lord. We're called to be lowercase p's, lowercase priests. So I want to ask you this question. Elders, is there any blood on your hands? When you're called to teach the whole counsel of God, but you know if you preach a certain topic that you're going to lose your biggest tithers. Pastors, is there any blood on your hands when you know someone in leadership has violated their vows in marriage? or violated their vows that they took in ministry to the church. And you know that confronting that sin may cause you to get fired. Congregation, is there any blood on your hands when you know that the church or denomination you're in is headed towards false teaching and false doctrine? Will you be quiet? Will you be silenced? Or will you speak up? Christians in the body of Christ 
Is there any blood on your hands? See, the work of the cross was a horrific horror scene where Christ was slaughtered for his people. See, the priests merely had blood on, the, on their hands, but Christ was covered in blood for the sacrifice of sin. See, Nadab and Abihu had already been acquainted with what it meant to be a priest because both their father and their uncle were priests. So they understood very well the cause and the importance of what it means to serve in this office. The text goes on to say that each of them took a censer and put fire on it, and they laid it incense and offered it unauthorized before the Lord, which had not been commanded. Now, there's much discussion um, amongst theologians as to why the fire was unauthorized, but some believe that it was that the coal came from, uh, wasn't found there at the altar, and some believe that they may have been drunk, as it goes down to talk about later in the text. But whatever the case, we know that they didn't properly follow the instructions that were given by God. Now, just in case you didn't know what a censer is, a censer is a tool that's used to, to, uh, to light the incense on the altar. I have another question for you. Does the fire in the altars of your heart, is it burned with a passion to please God? Does the fires on the altars of your heart, does it burn with vengeance ready to strike your enemies? Or does the fire of your heart burn with an unquenchable and desire for lust? Well, we know that Christ has a passion for his people, so much so that he came down. He was fully God, fully man wrapped himself in flesh, and came on our behalf to reconcile that breach that we've created. Do we have a passion for Christ? God's love for his people in Christ went past the verbal and manifested itself in the physical deeds. The fires of the hardship burn with the passion to live a sacrificial life after the pattern that Jesus Christ has set before us. The second, sin leads to our worship disorder. Verse 2 says, And fire came from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This is an earth-shaking, sobering reality in this particular text that's troubling to a lot of people. See, God is so serious about how we approach him in worship that there is deadly consequences. Nadab and Abihu are a testimony that God will not substitute human action for his prescribed methods for worship. The whole theme of the book of Leviticus is about finding our way to God. We cannot come to God in and of ourselves and on our own. Our sins render us totally helpless and condemned before a just and a holy God. The raging fire of God's wrath will be loosed upon us if we do not surrender to him. See, the priests failed to do their job. But thanks be to God, we serve a high priest that did not fail in his job. That is Jesus Christ. But how many of you know that we have a high the, the, the book of Leviticus says in Hebrews, I'm sorry, not the book of Leviticus, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 declares, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tipped it, yet without sin. 
we have a high priest, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He has not failed in his job like Nadab and Abihu failed in their jobs. He has faithfully obeyed the Father even to the point of the cross. Jesus was offered as an atonement for his people, and he is the culmination and fulfillment of everything that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Lastly, worship belongs to God and God alone. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said among those who are near me. I will be sanctified before all of the people and I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. God has set apart a holy people so he will not be approached as a pagan God. We have a holy God and we know that we're not holy, but God calls us and makes us holy. So we don't approach God like we would approach, approach anybody else. We don't approach God with our own imaginations. We don't approach God with our own fancies. We don't approach God just any kind of way. God has a prescribed method and a way to approach him. And if we don't approach him in that way, there's consequences. It may not always result in death, but why even take that risk to find out what it, what it will result in? God is not only set apart among his covenant people, but God is set apart to be glorified among all. God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He will have the glory, and he will share his glory with no one. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Worship is both God's means and ends. The Bible declares the worship of God throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation. Worship is for him, by him, and to him. God is all about worship, point blank period. Bow your heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because we realize that you have called us to worship you. And we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, sometimes the reality of scripture can be hard to process and hard to swallow. But Lord, we realize that you are serious about worship. Lord, we realize that you are so serious about worship that our relationship has to be restored with you. And we know Lord God, you know that we could not do this on our own accord. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son that you have sent to atone for our sins, restoring a relationship between God and man. And we realize, Lord God, that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ and none other. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we give over to you. And we ask these and other blessings in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank God and amen.